0: Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co host on the West Coast, Warren.
1: What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the coming of age teen comedy drama, Fast Times of Ridgemont High. Plot: A group of Southern California teenagers live their day-to-day lives over the course of a
0: high school year. Despite this being a coming-of-age uh, film, I did not see this movie until I, I was, you know, well into my college years. Uh, uh, probably much to our, our mother's happiness, I did not see this at, a, at too young of an age because it is, you know, a very mature subject matter. However, it is a classic in every sense of the word a true trailblazer for teen movies and i I love it one of the
1: first true high school movies i mean of course you have american graffiti what uh nine years earlier in 73 and porky's the year earlier in 81 but this just did so much for the teen uh, high school movie
0: yeah, it was like it dealt with more mature themes and it you felt like it was grounded in stuff that teens really went through that there was some real world inspiration there not just some I love Porky's too but you know not some just kind of slapstick let's create these wacky scenarios.
1: But at the same time it keeps it it keeps it it's realistic but it's a light film and it's one of those movies you want to live in i just that uh, you know uh, you, right when the movie starts you're just like man i, I transport me there uh, i, I want to yeah. be in the mall and i want to i want to hang out the food court <laughs> very
0: much so yeah absolutely yeah so it uh, but you know again yeah so the real world inspiration there but it's still a movie it's still fun you want to live that life it doesn't there's no serious consequences for anything despite you know there really should be in some situations it's just the next day happens and life goes on
1: yeah, and that had to come from Cameron Crowe's screenwriting. This was his first script, and it, it was him adapting his very first book. Um, and it, it's his intention was to write the entire business of day-to-day high school life.
0: Yeah, so going into this, he was a writer-editor for Rolling Stone magazine. I mean, his upbringing as far as that period was uh, immortalized in the film Almost Famous. That's where, yeah, he uh,
1: started his journalistic career. at Fifteen,
0: yeah, he graduated high school at fifteen, uh, and uh, and and you know he was a uh, shooting star as far as going down that path of a writer. So as you said, this was his first foray into writing a book and you know adapting into a, a screenplay. But uh, there was a the book came out in 1981. It was had the same name, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and it, it was him going undercover in a real high school and, you know, uh, it was a Claremont high school in San Diego, I believe. That's right. Yep. Uh, to, to, he called himself Dave Cameron while he was there, uh, and wanted to, you know, see what that life was like and made a group of friends.
1: He went undercover for an entire school year, which I was surprised. You think it'd be like, you know, maybe a month or six weeks. No, the entire school year
0: which is just awesome that, it, and he was 22 at the time. So, it, but it played never
1: ever would it happen today. Never.
0: No. I mean, I, and, and I know we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, you, you were barely 18 and people thought you were in your mid twenties or were an undercover cop. Yeah. I mean, 21 jump like,
1: street situation. Literally. Yeah.
0: I mean, tr- true story. Yeah. But uh, he was uh, probably had, you know, if it's anything like almost famous, had a baby face and played younger than what he actually was. Um, but yeah, just a really great concept and, These are underage kids that he met. So, how much truth there is to those stories, you know, is kind of to be determined as far as writer privileges, though. But converting that into a movie could not have been an easy task because it's like you're trying to create this a plot out of high schoolers' experiences, you know, real life high school experiences. It's
1: almost like Seinfeld in high school. It's like a movie about nothing. (laughs) It's just the day to day life.
0: Yeah, it's just like these uh, hyper-focused situations for individual teenagers and what they go through. So props to Cameron for taking it from a book and being able to adapt it into a screenplay. Again, first time he's ever done this, uh, and did a phenomenal job. So good, in fact, that Universal did purchase the rights for the, the, the film rights for the book before it was even published. Uh, they they wanted a piece of it. That's
1: what happened. Maybe a handful of times in cinema history, where the the, the they will uh, option the novel before it's even been released.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, they even had a director picked out. Originally, they wanted David Lynch to direct the film. Uh, he didn't he he didn't feel like it was in his wheelhouse, uh, and he turned it down. But I mean, Universal right, exactly. they were they were wetting their appetites for being able to to make this movie. They knew they had a a, um, a gem on their hands.
1: And Cameron Crowe would go on to write a, a few gems in his career, which is quite rare. Uh, you already mentioned Almost Famous, but Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Big, big, great, a great movie. And uh, also Vanilla Sky, which I, I personally love that movie. Not as successful as the other two, but to have what, three, what, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, and Fast Times, that is three legitimate replay value titles. <laughs> That's, I mean, like, uh, wow. Yeah,
0: the first two, Mag- Jerry Maguire and Almost Famous, we will definitely be doing those. Um, I have to throw one out there, not as critically acclaimed, but he did do, it was about, uh, I guess, 10 years ago or so, he did Elizabethtown. I have to throw that out there just because I'm I'm from Kentucky. But speaking of going on and writing things, uh, one of the people that he befriended at uh, Claremont High School when he was uh, undercover was someone named Andy Rathbone, who became the real-life inspiration for the Mark Ratner character. Uh, And that that uh, that person, Andy Rathbone, he did go on to become an author of computing books, including the, uh, popular for dummies series. So he still writes, uh, like windows for dummies. Like he came out with windows 10 for dummies just back in 2015. So that, that, became his career was writing those books. So very much in that nerd vein of the Mark Ratner character. crazy
1: connection. It's just a small world. Um, and, you know, here recently, Cameron Crowe, uh, you mentioned Elizabethtown. He did uh, Aloha in 2015. Yeah. Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams wasn't received very well. And then if, uh, he was uh, We Bought a Zoo, Matt Damon.
0: Matt Damon. That one was okay. That was pretty, yeah, it was not bad.
1: Yeah, well, he, he, it seems like he's in movie jail because his last film came out in 2015. What, six years ago? In fact, his last project, the last thing he did was called Roadies on Showtime in 2016.
0: Well, yeah, he might be working on the next next Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You never know. Working on his
1: magnum opus. Yeah. The director of the film, Amy Heckerling, uh, this was her feature film debut, 27 years old. She was a graduate of AFI. She had a 1977 short, Getting Over It, that she wrote, directed, and edited, and was submitted to the Academy for consideration. And she wrote a screenplay, My Kind of Guy, and was working as an editor at both Columbia Pictures and 20th Century Fox before she, she booked this uh, this directing gig.
0: And, and I don't really know the, the story of why they would give such a hot property to some an unproven director, but man, they could not have picked someone better. I mean, she did an incredible job uh, bringing Cameron Crowe's writing to life. To be and, fair,
1: she had another movie in in development that that basically... Got put in turnaround because of an actor strike. So oh. she should have had her feature film debut a few years earlier, uh, around, around 24, 25, I the, the Orson Welles uh, age, 24, which was her goal. She really was working towards having her first movie by the time she was 24 and it uh, didn't quite get it because of the actor
0: strike. I just can't imagine, wow, just getting the reins at such a, such a young age. But. I mean, she would go on to direct some other huge titles, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Look Who's Talking. Wow. And uh, one of uh, one a uh, future replay value movie, Clueless. Uh, she did that one as well. And then she's uh, actually directed an episode of The Office for the TV series, uh, the, the U.S. version. She's still working. Too. So, yeah, she's... Still working. Still got a lot of credits there. A very, very talented director.
1: Uh, she set out to make a less structured comedy, more along the lines of American Graffiti. And uh, I think it one to American Graffiti in terms of what it did uh, uh, when it came out in the 80s. Um, and it's funny, she said this. Her goal was to be where if you woke up in the middle of the movie, you'd be happy. And that's the thing you want when you're <laughs> watching it is to be in the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. that's This is a, definitely a film where you can just drop in and be like, oh, yeah, it's this, I mean, this, it's this part. It's this cool scene here i want to watch it um funny enough you mentioned american graffiti at the end they kind of have the, the 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 classic cliche whatever you want to call it where they show like uh what the character would they freeze frame it and show what the character would go on to do or, or, or whatever to show like the subtitles for that she did not want to do that for uh fast times she wanted to leave it open but the studio Universal's like nah we want you to Want you to make it how American Graffiti is? We want to have that that type of conclu- conclusion rather than leaving it so open.
1: Oh, well, a lot of movies have uh, have used that at the end. You remember, uh, Sandlot does it. <laughs> Future Replay movie, um, yeah, I yeah. love that.
0: I I I I, I used to like it when I was a kid, but like now that I read that, I was like, man, I I would actually like to see. I feel like. Fast times at Ridgemont High would be better without that. It feels a little out of place having it there. It would be better just to end it and that's it, you know, let them go oh, on. Well, it's and-
1: a popular closing credits device in, in comedies. I know, but yeah. Production, it was shot in Los Angeles on location over an eight week period, mostly in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, Sher- the Sherman Oaks Galleria was the mall, uh, and, uh, i've see quite a few movies there as usual actually i'll either go there or the universal city walk which is my favorite the imax there that's where we saw man of steel um that, that's one of the best oh, yeah, imax really theaters cool in the place, country yeah. uh but um so they used a lot of real locations uh, in the film uh, with extensive night shoots because they were using a mall they had to shoot nine p.m. to nine a.m. when the mall was closed.
0: Yeah, I was wondering how they, they they would have done that, but that you know using a real mall, which you can tell they do because even in the credits it shows all the stores that were in shot at that mall, and it's like fifty different st- whether these stores or uh, eateries mm-hmm. or you know, r- restaurants or whatnot that they give credit to at the end. I was like, well, they, I'll be damned, they use a real. the the whole mall so
1: yeah and they used a real high school van nuys high school doubled as ridgemont high uh the only time they didn't shoot on location they shot uh for i think a week or two on uh, stage three at universal studios for a lot of the uh, interior house scenes like uh bedroom or uh, stacy's bedroom uh or the pool house the interior there any of those those were shot on on a sound stage
0: yeah correct me if i'm wrong i know we went to like um when we went you know, when you go on a studio, like they have a lot of that stuff built into the background, like houses or whatnot that are actual office buildings. And then they will use that for for shooting sometimes. I don't
1: know. Oh, you're talking about a back lot where they have like the building facades to recreate a small city or town or a neighborhood. Uh This is. But
0: yeah, but they use like actual like administrative offices there for the studio will take sh- place no, inside no 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 those are, are almost the no the
1: back lots that, that are used for shooting those are facades so most of them are empty so if you go inside oh. of them they're just emptied out like you just see the wood uh inside it's just a big open room or something it, it's just the outside oh. makes it look like a said no that's all for show uh the administrative oh, offices okay. are located differently in a studio lot uh usually in the tower the taller office building and they don't shoot around that because it looks more just like an office building as opposed to you know the back lot and they make it look like like a city block uh, or a neighborhood you know like universal studio has the wisteria lane from uh desperate housewives uh they have that whole neighborhood there on the back lot so, uh, but in this gotcha. case, these bedroom scenes were shot inside of a soundstage. Like they'll actually build a That's set inside uh, the actual yeah, uh, okay. of, of just the bedroom, and they'll just shoot in there. Okay. Uh, there was some hazing on set. Uh, Nick Cage went by Nick Coppola at the time, and he was uh, constantly hounded about being, you know, uh, you know, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, being being a relative of his, and they would, you know, bang on his trailer hmm. and. Uh, quote uh, apocalypse now and godfather and it was after this movie that he changed his name to nicholas cage
0: yeah he was actually the only cast member that was actually under 18 uh and he's only in a couple scenes but yeah you kind of it's a blink and you miss it thing he's like called a you know one of brad's cook bud or so, something like that brad's bud as what he's credited as uh, but, in the final know,
1: just, cut he's more or less a glorified extra
0: oh for sure like no speaking lines at all so yeah yeah he's just featured yeah absolutely have to talk about the music of this film what an incredible soundtrack there was no there was no score created for the film it was all everything used was pre-recorded things that that universal had there's not so there's no original music created for Fast Times at Ridgemont High um but you look at the the, the soundtrack by the various artists on there and i'm going to start with one of the most absolute bangers uh, on any movie soundtrack one of my favorite jackson brown songs somebody's baby did not know this uh but it was actually written for this film <laughs> and i know it's so good i, I hate to step wow. on any best scenes but hey, the song was played multiple times in the film so i figured we, we can get away with playing it multiple times on the podcast so of course jackson brown one of the best songwriters of all mm. time he wrote it uh with danny korchmar uh which was news to me, but it's it's an incredible song, used so well in the movie. Uh, I did look up though, Danny Korchmar, I was like, did he just do this song? What else has he done? The name didn't sound familiar. He has either worked with or done uh, session guitar work with James Taylor, David Crosby, uh, Don Henley, Litland DeRonst, I mean, just a plethora of artists, singer, songwriters from the seventies and is really one of like the guys behind the artist to help define the sound of that era. Um, so look up Danny Korchmar, not only for this song, but for, for many, many others. Another good pull uh, Again, there's a lot of great music. Just go do yourself a favor and listen to the soundtrack. Um, Uh, one of the lesser known ones that I would say gets some attention is Goodbye Goodbye by Oingo Boingo if you're not familiar with that band that is a new wave band that was uh, started, uh, formed, and led by Danny Elfman that's right, the Danny Elfman (laughs) yes, that does the, 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 the composer for many, many films. Well, it's also like Hans
1: know. Zimmer had that background where he was in a really popular music video in another band. He
0: yeah. was. He was in um, uh, uh, the Buggles for Video Kill the Radio Star. He was actually in the video. Um, wow. But, uh, and then, of course, Oingo Boingo is, you know uh, I have to throw this out there as, a, as an anime reference uh, the, for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, one of the bands that's referenced in that. Uh, a deep cut there, but anyone who gets it will know what I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, again, a lot of great songs and the, I would say one of the, the, a lot of the selections of the music was based on the, the c- connections that the director, the producers had, uh, to certain artists. Like one of the film producers was Irving, uh, uh, Azoff, uh, he managed the Eagles and Stevie Nicks and coincidentally enough, they both had songs in the film as well. The Eagles, of course, that version uh, uh, "Life in the Fast Lane" was a cover in, in the prom at the end of the film, but they got their music in there. <laughs> and then the last one I'll mention <laughs> here, because I know I, I know some are coming later in the episode for best scenes, uh, but Jimmy Buffett wrote and performed the "I Don't Know" uh, Spicoli's theme. <laughs> He wrote and did that for this film. So there was a lot of love for music uh, for Fast Times at Ridgemont High and a lot of artists that wanted to contribute uh, to this great film. And I would say something that we didn't uh, see again as far as great usage of music in a teen film until Days Were Confused. But this was the first one that did it.
1: And we'll shift to the stars of the picture.
2: All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up.
1: This cast has a trio of Oscar winners. Three actors went on to win Best actor oscar i mean uh, one of them winning it twice that being sean penn top of the call sheet portraying Jess piccoli (laughs) you know this cast though features 19 actors who had successful film careers crazy that just quite the casting coup uh, when looking back on, on the film but sean penn man he was so great at this movie uh he in fact he was so into the character he went by Spicoli on set and on his trailer, he actually had Spicoli on taped on the door instead of Sean Penn so much so that his nickname on set was Sean De Niro uh, because people felt, okay, you're taking it a little too seriously.
0: In hindsight, those people probably feel a a little, a little of like fools because I mean, look what he's done with his career. But at the time you, who would have guessed in 82 watching making fast times that like, Hey, this guy's going to be, one of the best actors of all time.
1: Well, he even then though you get to, if you were on set, I don't care if you're an extra, or another actor, and a scene with Spicoli, you were doing your best not to laugh your ass off. It was probably trying like doing a uh, <laughs> a sketch with Will Ferrell on SNL. I mean, you know, you're just trying not to break. During the scene, I, I mean, it's just got to be that funny because you just don't know what he's gonna do, and that's what makes it so hilarious. Before they went into school, they were really smoking weed in the van. Uh, I mean, he, so oh, dang. he he was all into Spicoli. Got to go in and say it; it's an obvious choice. But Sean Penn as Jeff Spicoli is the MVP. He gives the most viable performance. Yeah, of course. It's considered the best stoner in cinema history or one of <laughs> it's on the it's on the short list okay it's on the Mount Rushmore uh, Cinema Stoners uh, I, I would say Brad Pitt and True Romance would give him a run for his money all due respect to Sean Penn but I really you don't have a, that much of Brad Pitt and True Romance of what you do get it's pretty great uh, but Sean Penn I mean it, it's the most memorable performance from the film I mean if you see the cover of the movie he's blown up on the top of it He he's a scene stealer he, he, he's what you take away from it. Every scene he's in, you can't take your eyes off of him. You're just watching Spicoli. And it's for that very reason. Uh, he, he he's, he's the MVP.
0: No, he's a worthy choice. And yeah, no, there's no one else. I mean, I could see the argument for Jennifer Jason Lee as Stacey Hamilton. You know, she is uh, has the arc there. But as far as... Yeah, like, I
1: could too. I almost gave it to her. Yeah.
0: As far as like chewing up the scenery and being an iconic, memorable role, it's Spicoli. I mean, to this day, he is a, a pop culture icon and... You know, he uh, epitomized and is the cliche version of or created the cliche of that stoner in, impersonation. Like when a lot of people are like, oh, whatever, you know, doing that kind of stoner uh, voice. They're really doing a Spicoli yeah. <laughs> voice. You know, That's what it is.
1: The only other actor in the film that even gave him any contention at all, as you mentioned, was Jennifer Jason Leigh as Stacey Hamilton. Uh, truly incredible in the film. Uh, This was her third movie, made her debut back in 76. She was 19 at the time that she made Fast Times.
0: And the funny thing is, is that, you know, early on in the film, when she's lying to Ron Johnson, she says she's 19. And you look at that and it's, she does not look 19. I mean, she absolutely looks uh, like uh, a child entering into high school. She was really telling the truth. Yeah, she really was telling the truth. That's probably why she acted the scene so well. I don't know if it was makeup or whatever, but she did a great job of of of, of portraying that uh, that hi, that high school um, insecurity and whatnot. So yeah, she it was is- all about
1: the, the the vulnerability of the character and, and 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 how open she is. She's so alive on screen. Uh, in every scene, she's so alive. Uh, after this, Jennifer Jason Lee went on to do Backdraft, Single White Female, Hudsucker Proxy, Road to Perdition, Machinist, bunch of great movies, and of course, Wow, yeah, Hateful Eight. Ah. Tarantino's film. She was nominated for an Oscar. And uh, most recently, she's in uh, a Netflix series, uh, Atypical. Uh, Emmy nominee, Judge Reinhold as Brad Hamilton. Uh, he's great in the movie, but you talk about lucky. And uh, that's what it's all about. He, he was dating the director, uh, Amy Heckerling's best friend, who was doing the casting of the movie. I mean, pff, it's all about who you know, man. That happened
0: a lot. That, that happened a lot as far as like some of the actors that got these roles, the actors and actresses either knew somebody or friends, family with people that were helping to make That's it. stuff. So.
1: really sucks though. For the hundreds of people that are competing, they really don't even get a fair chance because it's all about who, you know?
0: Okay. Real quick tangent. I first learned a new judge Reinhold from the Beverly Hills cop. Um, yeah. Uh, and Yeah. And, and and my dumbass, you know, eight year old self watching those thought he was an actual judge. That's why they called him judge Reinhold. Uh, so I I saw him, you know, later in life. I, like, as I mentioned earlier in college, I saw him as, Oh, he, you know, in fast times and, you know, whether or not he knew somebody, he does such a great job of playing the Brad character that is simultaneously the big brother. He has it all and loses it all. And really very quickly and portrays it on screen very well. That is great.
1: No, I, that's the thing. You get the opportunities, but then you gotta have the goods. And ultimately he had the, the goods. Good. And that's why he he went yeah. on to have a
0: career. Right. But getting the opportunity, you're right. Definitely
1: definitely helps. Definitely a little
0: nepotism yeah. there. Yeah. A little,
1: a little bit. A little bit.
0: Phoebe Cates as Linda Barrett, um, you know, going into this, I would say that um, you know, this is gotta be her one of her most iconic roles uh a lot there with the gremlins. Uh, gremlins too um so when you first watch the movie you're just like oh yeah she's the popular girl she's got it going on uh and phoebe does a really great job of portraying that confidence but you can see the insecurity behind Mm -hmm. the eyes as the movie goes on um Kind of saying she's just like a regular high school girl, despite being the quote unquote, meal more popular one.
1: Yeah, Diane Lane auditioned.
0: Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't come across she, that. She, she would have been great. Yeah.
1: Kind of perfect casting, really. I mean, you can't take it away from Phoebe. I'm just saying. I mean, if someone else is going to do it, I mean, they were definitely. This casting director is plucking from the right tree, man. Jeez. Really, uh, it's great stuff.
0: You got to give a shout out to the casting director, Don Phillips. No better time to do it. Same casting director for Dazed and Confused helped discover Matthew McConaughey. And we talked about that in length in our Dazed and Confused episode last season. Um, so yeah, he was a master. There
1: needs to be an Academy Award category for this very reason. Wow. That's casting and stunts need their own uh, category. Bullshit, man.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is a definitely an example of that.
1: Wow. Because I mean that, think about how intricate and, and, and the casting truly is to a film. Because Days and and Fast Times, uh, man, they are in the cinema lexicon. And 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 look at all the future unknown stars in both of the both of those films. The casting director has something to do with that. That's not a coincidence.
0: No, absolutely not. You're right. You got to put the right people in there to bring it to life. It's I mean, it does as more for you know bringing the movie to the level it's at as the words do on the page, the actors have got to you know, portray that.
1: Robert Romanos as Mike Dimone, uh, who would also, uh, after this movie, going to become an accomplished musician, which I always think that's interesting when you, they have so much, you know, someone has so much success as an actor, uh, but then pivots and ends up doing something else.
0: The latest thing that I, I remember seeing him in, he was a guitar teacher in the movie, The Runaways with Dakota Fanning and uh, Kristen Stewart back in 2010, so small role in there, but as far as acting, uh, didn't do a, He's done a, a little bit here and there, but I mean, he's made some short films too, I think. But yeah, most well known for Fast Times, yeah.
1: Brian Balker as Mark Ratner, uh, he most of his acting before this movie, he'd been on Broadway. Um, that's mostly how he'd made his name before this film. And uh, another actor who who had come from the stage, uh, Ray Walston uh, as Mister Han. Uh, he made his acting debut back in 1939, won a Tony Award on stage, uh, a decorated TV career as well. Uh, so uh, movie was lucky to have him uh, step into the role as Mr.
0: Hand. He is so vital to the hilarity of Spicoli, you know, having, uh, you know, playing that side of the relationship that for someone to bounce off Spicoli's silliness with really elevated, I think, the, the cast from that side. You needed someone with some chops in that role.
1: And we look at the guest stars of the film, the ensemble. Top of that, look, sheet is uh, Oscar winner Forrest Whitaker. His second film, Jeez. his first film was Tag, which came out earlier in the same year, which is his feature film debut. So, uh, an early Forrest Whitaker. Uh, we're getting some, uh, and he, he's like I said, he's only in a few scenes, but uh, he comes in, he does the job and man, it's just crazy to me. They have this many big stars in this movie because you have Eric Stoltz as one of the stoner buds with Anthony Edwards. Are you kidding
0: me? Even yeah. these small roles, you have future stars. Of course, I always know Eric Stoltz as Lance from Pulp Fiction. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> Lance. She's fucking dying on me, man. <laughs> I, I, wrong number. I do not know you. I'm hanging up. Uh, James
1: Russo as uh, the robber, uh, man, another great uh, actor. I mean, this was one of the great young New York actors of that time. And uh, back in the day, he could have been, he, he, he was an up-and-comer. I mean, he, he, he was one of the few actors that, was, okay, this guy could be the next De Niro. Now, he didn't become that, mm. but that's how special this guy ended up being, man. J- James Russo, he was also in, uh, he was in Django Unchained plays one of the uh, the brothers oh, yeah, at that, the beginning. Yes,
0: that's right, yeah.
1: And of course, we mentioned earlier Nicolas Cage as Brad's bud. This was his first paid acting role. And the youngest person, Phoebe was the second youngest, Nicolas, youngest person in the cast. And you had Vincent Ciavelli as Mr. Vargas, which... Man, that guy, he's been in some other stuff, very memorable, I hate to say it, central casting type thing. Like, you can tell he's cast off the headshot in most cases, but he's just got a very distinct look, and he does a great job in the movies he's put in.
0: He he did, unfortunately, pass away um, several years ago, but, I mean, yeah, very memorable in the roles that he was in, including this one.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I, I did come across that Doug Benson was an extra
0: hmm, I did not see that. But, I mean, it wouldn't
1: surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me as, as, as deep as the casting is in this movie. They got fucking future star comedians as extras. I mean, in a future Oscar, like, come on, man. This is a deep bench. Yeah,
0: deep bench. And, again, people you know, the beautiful girl in the car that kind of laughs at uh, at Brad when he's in his pirate getup is Nancy Wilson from Heart, the band, what? who would later become Cameron Crowe's wife. Wow. So, I mean, again, you know. I'm sure that wasn't a mistake she got of the film. I'm sure he he was interested. If
1: you watch the new uh the the table read, uh Fast Times of Richmond High that they just did, uh with uh Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston, Dane Cook put it on, uh Matthew McConaughey. Of course, yeah. Uh there's a great moment where Brad Pitt recreates that it's so good. It's I think it's on YouTube. Gotta pull it up, man. It's great.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Uh yeah, it is very good. It's very funny. Uh uh, Shia LaBeouf stays in character as Spicoli the whole time, and it's a little weird. Yeah, but it's, it takes a little too far but, for
1: a fucking table read. I was like, "All right, man, go a little extra." Bit, yeah, you get Brad Pitt's face even says that. Like, you could if you look at Brad Pitt, like as <laughs> Shia's doing all that, you could just say he's like, "All right, man, take it easy, buddy." <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Brad Pitt came prepared though; he had all the hats that Brad wears. I thought it was great. Uh, I loved yeah, it. It's yeah. great.
0: He did very good in
1: that. Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt really stand out, and it shows you why they're a star amongst stars. Like everyone, in it's great, but Julia to me and Brad were the best.
0: We'll move on to the stats and accolades of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Release date was August thirteenth, nineteen eighty-two. Uh, so later, uh, Dog Days of Summer there on a budget of five million dollars. Opening weekend only two point five million. However, it was only in four hundred and ninety eight theaters. And again, this is in the early 80s. So not exactly the box office numbers that we see now. Uh, it was number seven when it opened. The Some other movies that were ahead of it. Number one that week, Friday the 13th, part three, uh, which was crazy to me that a horror movie would have beat it out. But those movies were huge back then. Uh, and, and then a, wow. a special call out at number five that it actually opened up against Fast Times at Ridgemont High and beat it. Was Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, in its 1982 re-release, a new Star Wars movie didn't even come out in '82. Jedi didn't come out until '83. So I have, you know, it, it just it was just a money maker. I mean, when they when they would put it back out, yeah, so, but that was an opportunity for
1: audiences to go see an iconic film in theaters. They, they I come on, that's I, not I do want to say I do, wanna say,
0: I do want to say, I do want to say that all of those most all the movies that beat it had were in over a thousand theaters whereas Fast Times was in half that. So it would go on to domestically pull in 27 million. It did peak at number three, which was Labor Day week in a few weeks after it opened. Uh, it never did get higher than that though so kind of a, a mild performance in the box office and it did not have an international release.
1: Yeah finished 29th. Uh, for the year, box office rank.
0: So it's one that's kind of gotten legs later and become a cult phenomenon. As far I as think as in home of.
1: release and cable is really where it caught on.
0: Yeah. I think the cable aspect is important because you know, it's one of those where, again, like you mentioned earlier, you can turn it on in the middle of it. And because there's really no central plot, you can just watch it. And be like, oh, this is a funny scene. I want to see this moment.
1: And with a running time of an hour and thirty minutes, the, the oh, it's just a, it's a, the movie's over before you know it. Yeah,
0: it really is. Yeah.
1: I, I watched it three times before this episode because it's just it's boom, it's over. It's <laughs> it, let, it,
0: let me put it on again. And again, you can just have it on in the background, yeah. do Stuff around the house or whatever. It's 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 one of those very consumable films. Just don't do it with, when your kids are around, you know.
1: Yeah, because it does have a rating of R. Yeah. No deaths, zero body count, but uh, eight F bombs. Fuck you! So don't want the kiddies picking up any of that bad language. Scores of the film Rotten Tomatoes, 77%, and Metacritic, 61. Uh, Generally favorable reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert, famously at the time, shit canned it. uh, He called it a a scuzz pit of a movie, one out of four (laughs) stars. uh, Dismissed it as a vulgar teen exploitation movie, which to me, Man, Roger just totally mis misread it, man. And and we're the Zen Master. uh, Just I couldn't find anything uh, by Pauline Kael or Andrew Saris. I wish their reviews were as accessible as Roger Ebert's. Unfortunately, they're
0: not. Well, I hate to say put it this way, but this movie really wasn't for him when it came out. You know, and like the effect that it has had on pop culture has you know garnered it some more critical acclaim. But you know, if if someone like Roger Ebert liked the film it was probably doing something wrong it's for high school or it's for a certain demographic I would say.
1: Awards of the film only one nomination. Writers Guild of America Award best comedy adapted from another medium That's it. No other nominations. No other awards of any kind.
0: Not the type of movie for that. It's not one that's going to go out and win a bunch If it
1: of came movies. out today, it would have the MTV Movie Award nominations, the Saturn, uh, the fair. Nickelodeon. That's fair. Okay. It would have all that stuff. It would have a lot more. Uh, movies are covered more today than they were, even you back might, in 82.
0: You might, depending on who wrote it, you might get a screenwriting shout out to, to, Cameron, uh, to Cameron Crowe. Possibly. Uh, it just depends, yeah. And with
1: women filmmakers being rightly acknowledged as well, I mean, what Amy Heckerling did it should be acknowledged. I mean, th- this was some groundbreaking work, and uh, I would like to think she would have hopefully gotten some recognition.
0: Yeah, I mean, in lesser hands, it would have been uh, most likely a bomb. It's unfortunate that
1: she didn't. You know, I'm just saying maybe with some more coverage, if it came out today, she probably would.
0: The Grammy Record of the Year winner uh, was Rosanna by Toto. A great jam, however... What? Oh, what do you mean, what? It is a great song. However, the album Toto 4 that Rosanna was on also won Album of the Year, and my favorite song has got to be Africa. I mean, come on. It's a little overplayed at this point, but I I would say that's the one that's had the most legs. But uh, Billboard Hot 100 for 1982 was physical by none other than Olivia Newton-John. I I can't list them all here, but I will say go look at the top 10, 15 songs from the... uh, the billboard hot 100 for 82. And there is so much good music that was released in 82. You had Hall and Oates on there. The Jay Giles band. I mean, of course, Toto, uh, I mean, a lot of great music. Check it out. So, but those were the tops for the year.
1: A lot of great movies too. tops of the box office. Number one for the year and became the all time highest grossing movie ever held that title for 11 years. Took it from jaws. E.T., Big, big smash. Number two, Tootsie. Number three, An Officer and a Gentleman. Number four, Rocky III. Honorable mentions that year. Some other great movies. Like you said, a lot of great music, a lot of great movies. Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. That's yes. widely considered the best Star Trek movie. Very 48 good. Hours, Poltergeist, another Spielberg uh, film. He's busy that year. And uh, Blade Runner, which we uh, covered in the first season.
0: So there's two other 1982 films, uh, of course, E.T. and Blade Runner that we've done before, yeah.
1: Oscar Best Picture winner, Gandhi. Razzie Worst Picture winner, Eachin. TV of the Year, top scripted, Nielsen-rated shows, Dallas, MASH, Magnum P.I., Dynasty, and Three's Company. Fucking classic, man.
0: Very All classics, yeah. We, even,
1: awesome. we we saw reruns of Three's Company back in the day. Oh, yeah. John Ritter, hell yeah. Suzanne Summers? come on. Uh, Emmy Best Drama Series, Hill Street Blues for a three-peat third straight season and uh, Emmy Best Comedy Series was Cheers in its first season the average movie ticket cost two dollars and ninety four cents wow man at the movies all the time all the time events of the year the first CD player was sold in Japan the Weather Channel debuts the first episode of Late Night with David Letterman debuts the largest cash robbery in US history nine point eight million dollars took place in New York City it was an armored car The first issue of USA Today is published. Disney Epcot opens. The first artificial heart implant takes place in the U.S. And born this year, Andy Roderick, Leanne Rhimes, and Kelly Clarkson.
0: All right, we'll move on to our best scenes and lines from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, as we've talked about earlier, the movie is essentially vignettes of the different moments in uh, the high school lives of teens. There's not really any central plot. So what you're left with is just a bunch of great scenes. So let's start out with your runner-up, Warren.
1: A lot of great scenes. I had to go with uh, when Spicoli gets stoned with uh, Jefferson's little brother and then they wreck Jefferson's (laughs) car.
3: My brother's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill us. He's gonna kill you and he's gonna kill me. He's gonna kill us. Hey, man, just be glad I had fast reflexes. My brother's gonna shit. Make up your mind, dude. Is he going to shit or is he going to kill us? First is going to shit, then he's going to kill us. Relax, all right? My old man is a television repairman. He's got this ultimate set of tools. I can fix it.
2: You can't fix this car, Smokali.
3: I can fix it.
0: <laughs> ah, the Jefferson Joyride. Yeah, that's a, that's a great choice. I had that as an honorable mention. Very good. Uh, what was your runner-up? Any moment with Spicoli is going to make it high on the list. This is actually one I had as an honorable mention, but I did go ahead and bump it up to a runner-up scene, um, uh, just because it's so iconic. It's got to be the most iconic scene from the film. It's the fantasy pool sequence. You know, before you start with the the accusations, it's not for the reasons that you think it is for that it's my runner-up so just stop right there yeah yeah yeah
1: i had it as honorable mention as well so
0: right you, you have to throw it in there and again it was an honorable mention but i have to you know bump it up into the runner-up position uh just because of how iconic it is and you got to mention the great song that plays in the scene moving in stereo by the cars i mean what a banger off the soundtrack i love it recently was used in season of Stranger Things when you show Billy walking across the pool and all the moms are watching, so it's kind of a a funny uh, tongue-in-cheek reference to that there. But out of all the teen movies that are out there, this is the most iconic scene, bar none. It's
1: bigger than that. This is considered uh, Mr. Skin voted it the number one top nude scene in movie history <laughs> all time.
0: So you're not helping my case for the reason that I picked it as my right. Well, I'm saying it's, it's
1: the most memorable bikini drop in movie history. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's the most spoofed. It's the most iconic scene from the
0: film. The spoofing is part of the reason that I picked it too. Again, I mean, if, if it's that permeated in pop culture, It deserves one of the top two spots when we're talking about best scenes.
1: Yeah, you even got Judge with the great line after he's like, "Fucking anybody, knock
0: anymore?" (laughs) It's, uh, I mean, well, it's funny just because like even when you know when it kind of flashes back to reality, you know when she gets out of the pool after the dream sequence is ended, it's like there's no there's no glamor there. She's like, oh, I think I got water in my ear. You know, it just, it's very much back to, to real life. It's just yeah, the
1: weird. only good sex in the movie is in the fantasy.
0: So uh, what was your winner for best scene? Uh,
1: uh, my winner is uh, I'm going
0: Spico- I'm all in on all Spicoli, all Spicoli. Uh, yeah. All Spicoli.
1: It's when Spicoli uh, orders a pizza in class and has it delivered. And
0: uh... <laughs> before you go on, that is also my winner for best scene
3: best friends yep am i hallucinating here just what in the hell do you think you're doing learning about cuba having some food mr spicoli you're on dangerous ground here you're causing a major disturbance on my time
0: i've been thinking about this mr hand if i'm
3: here and you're here doesn't that make it our time we certainly there's nothing wrong with a little feast on our time you're absolutely right mr spicoli It is our time. Yours, mine, and everyone else's in this room. But it is my class. Hamilton, Brandt, Cornfeld, up front. Mr. Spicoli has been kind enough to bring us a snack. And be my guest. Help yourselves. Get a good one.
0: Yeah, it's fucking great. It's so good, dude. Yeah, I love it. Come on, man. (laughs) This, This is quintessential fast times. I fucking love it. You know, there's no way to one up or, you know, stump a teacher like Mr. Hand, you know, because you watch the movie and you're like, oh, shit, that's that's profound as hell. I mean, it is their time. And Mr. Hand turns it right back around him and does that. And, you know, of course, shares the pizza with everybody. And the
1: look on Sean Penn's face like someone just ran over his puppy. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a great scene.
0: All right. So a couple honorable mentions that I had. One is uh, another Spicoli moment, uh, the robbery at the end. Mainly the, when, when when Spicoli comes back out of the bathroom and uh, it, it just helps Brad thwart the robbery there.
3: I got you, you son of a bitch.
2: Where's your right Awesome. Totally awesome. All right.
0: and just like his reaction to everything that's going on. Like he just, he, you never feel like he's fully grasping the seriousness of the situation, whether it be wrecking the car, (laughs) of Jefferson or almost dying to a would be thief with a gun. I mean, it just, he's just, you know, he's, he's living his life.
1: he's too high to care.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Another uh, honorable mention I had uh, was the, uh, the, the, the date of Stacy and Ron very early on into the film, that, that first date and you know, she is she's ready to grow up as far as you know, she thinks she's ready to grow up and you know, Ron's a man and, you know, she's they're gonna go to the point. And so he's seems like he's so mature and they're gonna do something romantic. And like you've got the great again, that great Jackson Brown song, Somebody's Baby, that kicks in when she gets out of the window and and it, it builds it up to be like this great romantic moment. With the way the song plays with that but what i love about it is the juxtaposition of having that romantic great song play against essentially a disaster of a date it's not romantic at all he's you know she just kind of laying that it's very sleazy she like sees the graffiti it's in this dirty dugout it's not like how anybody would envision it
1: how are we going to talk about the stars of the picture and i didn't mention the fact that the actor who plays ron johnson stacy's date in this scene it's D.W. Brown, who was my drama teacher for two years in Santa Monica at the Baron Brown studio.
0: Are you kidding me? I did not know that.
1: I mean, he was trained by Lee Strasberg, That's he has awesome. the um, the Obi-Wan Jedi Actor Training wow. Lineage. I mean, he, he's one of the greatest acting teachers out there today. Absolutely had to give him a special shout out.
0: That is very, very cool. I did I did not realize that. I knew his name, but I didn't ever put it together like that.
1: So. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> We'd be in class and, we, and I'd be like uh, meatball sub, Diet Coke, and your phone <laughs> number. Well,
0: what's fu- what, what what's funny is that he has a line in the film, and it, I, I, it's not going to be an honorable mention thing, but he says, "You know, working hard or hardly working." You know that that line. And I it's,
1: think it's his first line in the movie.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and um, but I always hear it from the movie onward that animated Pixar film that came out last year. There's a oh, yeah. an Officer Colt Bronco. He says it to the. The, the, the kids in the film and it's it's played up for last because it's so cheesy and him using that such a cheesy line even back in the 80s it was cheesy uh, on her and it works is just ridiculous but alright um, what honorable mentions did you have?
1: got a few here uh, the opening scene and I know usually you're yeah. the sucker for opening scene but the opening scene yeah. in this movie completely s- pulls you in um, as I've said a couple times you want to be in this world and it's such an intoxicating song to get you to To want to see what's going to happen and to want to watch the rest of the movie, it's just a great way to get you into the movie uh, uh, right away.
0: No, I'm a sucker for that. And you you have like the awesome font with when it says "Fast Times at Ridgemont High." You got that. The music by the Go-Go's kicking in. Oh yeah, it definitely sucks you into that environment, and you're in. You're buckled up, buckled up for the ride. So uh, that's a good choice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Another honorable mention is, uh, and you you said it earlier, but it's when the girl sees Brad with the pirate hat when he stopped at the red light and then he throws it down.
0: (laughs) Just (laughs) starts throwing all the food out. He doesn't give a
1: shit anymore. Yeah, even when he bites Mm. the chicken and he, like, spits it back out. That's really great. Last honorable mention would be uh, Damone's five-point plan that he lays out to Rat before his date. It's his best scene in the movie. It
0: is, yeah. I mean, he's... it
1: tells you the most about his character. You don't need to know anything else after that.
0: Okay, okay, what's your five point plan? All right. Now
3: pay attention. First of all, Rat, you never let on how much you like a girl. Oh, Dabby Hi. Two, you always call the shots. Kiss me. You won't regret it. Now, three, Act like wherever you are, that's the place to be. Isn't this great? Four, when ordering food, you find out what she wants, then order for the both of you. It's a classy move. Now, the lady will have the linguine and white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice. And five, now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible put on side one of Led Zeppelin 4.
0: I actually did have a couple more I'm sorry they're just so good I don't want to leave out Spicoli Um, the whole scene when he first comes in for the first time and he has the I don't know exchange with Mr. Hand is great
3: wait a minute there's no birthday party for me here (laughs) oh Mr. Hand what's the reason for your truancy just couldn't make it on time you mean you couldn't or you wouldn't? It was like a full crowd seeing the food lines. Food will be eaten on your time. Why are you continuously late for this class, Mr. Spicoli? Why do you shamelessly waste my time like this? I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, and then, lastly, near the end of the film, it's the one-on-one lesson that Spicoli has with Mr. Hand. Uh, just I love, My favorite part of that, though, is when it comes back and he talks about, he kind of is explaining what he's learned about U.S. history.
3: What Jefferson was saying was, hey, you know, we left this England place because it was bogus. So if we don't get some cool rules ourselves, pronto, we'll just be bogus, too. Yeah, very
1: close, Jeff. He actually learned something. Now uh, The best part of that scene is the opening when Hand shows up, and he's like, oh, I left that book in my locker, Mr. <laughs> Hand. And he's, like, really happy about it because he doesn't <laughs> think he's going to have to do anything. And then Mr. Hand whips out, well, it's a good thing I remembered to bring an extra copy. And you see just the <laughs> Sean Penn's face completely fall. It's
0: great. It just goes, I mean, th- there's never a situation where he can one-up Mr. Hand. He's always got the advantage. He's the smart, you know, he's he's not going to be outsmarted by Spicoli. But at the same time, he helps him learn and grow.
1: Yeah, and even at the end, Mr. Hand's like, oh, don't worry, Spicoli, you'll probably squeal by. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> and then he's like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into our best lines uh, from the film. And, uh, well, Let's keep it going with you, Warren, for your runner-up.
1: I mean, Spicoli gets all the one-liners, man. I'm yeah. all Spicoli, this movie. Um, and this, again, tributes to why he's in the MVP. Uh, runner-up,
0: best line. You dick! I knew that would make an appearance for you. I had it as an honorable mention. Yeah, I know you, you love that. Very thing. quotable. That was my most disappointing thing with uh, the, the table read with um, Shia LaBeouf playing Spicoli is is that that he didn't say it. He didn't say that line. He's like you're a pretty big dick or something like that. It just it didn't land well at all. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. His performance was off key there. He's a great actor. I'm just saying. I just oh oh, yeah, he
0: he probably just got really really stoned. He was probably trying to go method like Sean Penn did. But Sean Penn was getting he was getting a kick out of it. He was laughing. Yeah.
1: Well, of course it's what if he doesn't approve. It's I mean he kind of needs him to approve. You gotta have to in that situation. Fair. But I'm sure he appreciated the commitment uh, is probably what he was going to kick out of.
0: Your runner-up? Uh, my runner-up is, uh, it's actually the tag end of one of the, the, the scenes that you said earlier when the is explaining like the, you know, his, his five-point plan. It's at the very end when he says, It comes
3: down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Led Zeppelin Four. <laughs>
0: perfect i mean he's not wrong there that is a great album to play when uh when the mood strikes so yeah anyway. but
1: you know it's great though in that scene if you watch the actor playing rat when he's in the car with stacy and the song's playing you'll see him kind of when she's not looking look over at her and it's just a great moment it just feels so real where he's so vulnerable and so unsure of himself I, that's that's ah, it's what i think of in that scene it's a very good acting very, very good directing of the, in acting in the, in that moment
0: Of course, my winner is going to be another Spicoli line. This one at the end of the film, uh, right before the robbery, when he, Spicoli walks into the gas station and doesn't really have a lot of money to pay. And Brad says,
3: why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. (laughs) All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz,
1: and I'm fine.
0: Epitomizes Spicoli, his outlook on life. uh, And I loved it. So what was your winner?
1: That was my winner. That
0: oh, that was your winner too.
1: Yep, yeah. Double matchup, yeah.
3: Again?
2: What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah, man, I love that line. It's great.
0: Yeah. Uh okay, what about uh honorable mentions? What'd you have there? This guy's been stoned since the third grade. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This guy's been stoned since the third grade. <laughs> that's good. It's, a, it's either a Spicoli or it's about Spicoli, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Hey, bud, let's party. You know, that's a famous one.
0: Hey,
3: bud, <laughs> let's party. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I love the one by Brad where he's like,
3: I hope you had a hell of a piss, Arnold.
0: All right, another one, good one by Brad where he's like,
3: you see that sign? No shirt, no shoes. No oh.
0: die son. <laughs> right learn it know it live it <laughs> yeah just try to dress down and, and and be the mature one for to the stoners there
1: I only have one it was the last one exchange and it's like it's still that same scene we're talking about it, go, it. Brad's like hey you
3: guys had shirts on when you came in here' but something happened to him huh? <laughs>
0: something happened to him man moving on to judge bob's recasting court where warren and i recast the film with today's stars all rise
2: for the honorable judge bob presiding gentlemen you may be seated recasting court is now in session i've reviewed some of the notes here and um pretty excited about this guys so let's get right into it we are going to hear recastings tonight for mr hand linda barrett Mark the Rat Ratner, Mike Damone, Brad, and Stacy Hamilton. And of course, a fan favorite, which will be our tiebreaker should we need one tonight, Jeff Spicoli. I don't know that there's going to be a better tiebreaker ever than this character. Deep, deep, deep love for him from the way back. Make it, take it rules, I believe, keeps the ball in Warren's court. Who do you have cast for Mr. Hand? This character is played for
1: comedy. That's why he's there, and um, there's uh, so many great actors you could go with. But uh, this came to me pretty quickly, and uh, I went with him, uh, Anthony Anderson. Most recently, of course, uh, from his TV series Blackish, but he's been in a lot of films. When he gets angry, it's hilarious, and I would love to see what he did with the character of Mr. Han. It would be a little different, but uh, in some cases, maybe even be funnier uh, with uh, with Anderson uh, in the role.
2: And uh, Phil.
0: I love Anthony Anderson. Great choice. Uh, one of the best recastings that you ever made in the history of this show was when you cast him as um, the cop from, from Die Hard. I mean, that was such a perfect fit. R- Reginald Val Johnson's character from, from the, you know, in the recasting of Die Hard. Perfect. The character of Mr. Hand, however, is a played a little bit more straight and I would be, it would be very different interpretation with Anthony Anderson, be more of him leaning into a comedic, so I went with more kind of the vein that they went in with the the, the original casting. Uh, I went with Kurtwood Smith. Name may not sound familiar, but it's Red Foreman from that 70s show. <laughs> I mean, you know, just the epitome of that. <laughs> I'm going to butt heads with a younger generation.
2: Dumbass! Dumbass! And, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And it's kind of very much in the same wow. vein. So I kind of, I would keep it more in line with where where it was uh, in the original. That's
1: actually going closer to with the original uh betrayal because it, it's he's a buttoned up character. As were my Anthony Anderson, you know, he would he would probably go
2: off the rails a little bit on Spicoli.
0: He would be, be leaning into the comedy whereas the comedy with the character I think is coming from how straight he plays it,
2: you know. So I think that uh, Anthony Anderson gives it more of a I don't want to call it slapstick feel, but it's in line with what we're getting now from like the uh, the old SNL cast members and stuff and a lot of the product they put out, the Happy Madison Productions, things of that nature where there's a lot more comedy to it for sure. Um, keeping in line with the casting, what they were looking to originally do when I saw Red Foreman on here, they just cannot go with them. Phil
1: well done I can't I can't think of too many times where I was actually gonna just give up but when you said it I was like yeah that's that's way better well thank you
2: well we'll uh, we'll move on to the next character uh, of tonight's casting which is brought to you by Zendaya So Phil who do you have cast <laughs> for Linda Barrett? considered Zendai not really No,
0: I didn't I actually you know listen if, if I if I can't you know so the, the thing with this cast it's a high school film but all the actor it's one of those all the actors are with between 20 and 25 because it you know as we discussed earlier it deals with some adult themes but you know you, you can't I couldn't go to Stranger Things for that very reason so uh, for, for the for one scene in particular of course but for Linda Barrett I did pull from the Cobra Kai pool of actors there uh, and I went with Peyton List who plays Tori in Cobra Kai? The, the the later seasons of it got the attitude. Seems like she's got the experience, but you know maybe is uh, a little insecure.
1: Oh, she's definitely insecure. I mean, there's there's a uh, she's putting on a show to to keep up her her uh, you know reputation.
0: Tough role to recast, but you know Peyton List was uh, at the top of my uh, list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway
1: solid casting I mean you could certainly see her uh, in particular, when the character is uh, coaching uh Stacy I could see Peyton playing that um I went with uh Haley Steinfeld
0: I consider her too one yeah, of my favorite yeah.
1: young actresses and uh you know when you think about a, an actress playing the it girl in high school I really feel that uh, Haley Steinfeld I mean is perfect for the role
0: so much I did consider her for, for the role as well. I mean, you, you can't go wrong It's with, with Haley Steinfeld. It's one of those, like, again, you know, we're the second episode, and you're pushing a big name in a uh, supporting role here. I mean, you, you don't want to save her for a lead role. What are and, you going
1: to sandbag your castings, man? That's not the way to play the game. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, go for the win, I guess. No, that's a great choice. So you can't go wrong with her.
2: So um, my daughter has grown up on Jesse and uh, a lot of Peyton List shows out there. And so, um, when I unfortunately, I almost have to remove myself from this judgment because I've known Peyton uh, List since she was like nine, 10 years old on TV, and this okay. is such an adult, uh, grown-up role. So Haley Steinfeld's going to take this one.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, that, and that's one you you, you play that card you, you, to go for the win. So that was a good choice, good good usage of her. I'll give you that.
2: So moving on to Mark the Rat Ratner really looking forward to these guys uh you guys put some really cool castings down so uh warren go ahead and tell us who you put the character is not cool enough to be called the rat it's
1: mark rat ratner okay let's just clarify uh (laughs) this is a good-hearted character but end of the day an unsure young teenager uh not a boy but not yet a man i went with caleb mclaughlin
0: Listen, you're dipping into my Stranger Things pool here, so I'm gonna have to to lay on a yeah, little. Yeah,
1: that's right. I'm st- I'm going on your territory. We can do about it, huh? I'm gonna tell Come you, on.
0: I think I think he is miscast. There is, he he would be more the cool said kid. I mean, I could almost see him as Mike Demone.
1: No, any of the kids from Stranger Things that play Dungeon of Dragons. Okay, they're, they're no, he, he could totally play this character.
0: Well, you know, in the later season, they kind of like phased out of that. You know, I think Caleb McLaughlin more can lean into the Mike DeMone.
1: Once a dork, always a dork. What are you going to do? Come on. Nobody
2: ever phases out of Dungeons and Dragons.
0: (laughs) That's true. I mean, I still play
2: (laughs) it. But I am a
0: dork, though. I would be a Mark Ratner character. no, there's a neurotic nature to the Mark Ratner character. I mean, he's the nerdy type, someone I very much relate to from my experiences going, you know, growing up. I, I kind of felt felt that way, but th- there's just kind of this built-in insecurity there that I just don't. I, I just feel that my choice, Sean Giambroni, who played uh, Adam Goldberg from the show The Goldbergs. Uh, Just fit better. I mean, he's perpetually 15 years old. He's, I think the actor himself is 21 or 22 now, but he still plays a high schooler in in the Goldbergs. And just, he is a perfect casting for Mark Ratner. Not that Caleb McLaughlin's bad. I love him, but Sean Giambroni is just, I mean, he is built for this role.
2: Paul Giamatti has made a career out of his ability to Inflect his voice in circumstances, if that makes sense. That's what makes Paul Giamatti so amazing. And I think that Sean, how do you say this? GM I, I have to. I, maybe. I think so. So he is another but, one yeah. of these uh, these Disney actors that's come up. I've seen him do stuff for years, and he always has played the, the perpetual 15 year old kind of whiny. Got Things Going On, Idea Man. And it's just, it's, it, it's, it's a great casting. I saw his name on here and I smiled. I've seen a lot of this kid's work. So, um, Phil, I, I love the casting. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just pass that judgment swiftly.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I mean, he's, uh, I haven't got to use him, I don't think, before this uh, for recastings, but that, that this you can use it
2: for any role, it's it's this one. Nailed it. I love it, too. So who do you have for Mike Damone?
0: Uh, Mike Damone, I actually went with uh, another I mean, Disney alum, uh, that you seem like to, you know, all these characters for years because of watching Disney shows with your, with your kids. But I went with, uh, Karan Brar, uh, just, he has got the, not a household name. I would say like some of these others that we've talked about, uh, but he has got that smoothness that you need from a Mike Damone character. I mean, you know, just that he's, this. I'm going to say tickets, you know, for the, he has that that nature to him, which made him one of the most difficult recastings for me. Was finding a young up and comer that fit
2: that, but I feel he does. And Warren, who do you have here?
1: Plucking from the Disney tree is just not the right tree to be picking from, man, for this kind of movie. Um, I went with uh, Tanner Buchanan, uh, Cobra Kai pool <laughs> uh, plays, uh, plays the young plays the young Johnny Lawrence's son, uh, Robbie. Uh, this is a character who's man, he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Okay. Uh, you can't trust him. He's a hustler and, uh, but he is charming and, 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 and ruggishly handsome. So I think Tanner Buchanan perfectly embodies that
0: he's just so pretty for, for the Mike, the bone character. I know. I mean, he's, well, in the script uh, uh
1: in the character breakdown she describes him as such um that's why he's able to charm people and get people to buy, he's able to successfully hustle people and sell his tickets and you know t- Stacy does you know he does charm Stacy I mean he you you see that uh the it works to some extent um, uh, that's
0: a good point because it actually does show like all the girls in school be like hey Mike hey my girl he's like waving to me you know, I, I don't know whether it's this connection with concert tickets, but okay, the the looks thing is that that's a fair point on that.
2: All right, so again, um, on this one, Phil is going to get the reward. Uh, yes. Karan Brar most recently stepped into the Happy Madison category uh, with Hubie Halloween, and he is gone from playing the nerdy outcast to he's like the douche in that movie, and he does so good and he's got such a capability and range, and there's a lot that this kid brings to the table. I have zero doubts. So moving on, Phil, who do you have cast for Brad Hamilton?
0: Brad Hamilton was another, I mean, really all of these are difficult recastings, just considering the, uh, number one, the subject matter and the supposed age range, even though we're casting in in the 20- to 25-year bracket. Um, I went with Ty Sheridan. This is one who you can get away with him playing a, a little bit older. He's... You know, he's a, a senior. He's looking at the future of his life. You know, he's kind of the the leader of the little cliques of the group that he's in. And, and you need uh, someone that can also be the big brother to Stacy. Uh So, yeah, I felt he was, a, he was a great fit for it.
1: Warren, who do you have here? I mean, this character has so many different entry-level jobs for a high school kid. I mean, like All-American <laughs> Burgers, like Carl Jr.'s. <laughs> And I think like Captain Hook is like Long John Silver's, or at least it's a play on that. And then yeah. you know, by the end of it, he's working at like a Seven Eleven or something like that.
0: In a- a- my Tmart, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, you got a character who you know he's had some good high school times, but now you know uh, adult, adulthood seems daunting. And he's at a different stage in maturity than the other teenagers in this film. He's kind of made it through that first wave of shit that the, a lot of the other characters are going through, right? Right. Uh, he's dealing with the second wave of shit. Uh, you know yeah, that, and, called life. Um, yeah. He. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> just I just think of him when he's coming home and they're in the pool and he's just got his head down. He's like, oh, does He mom barely really talks have anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah. He, Finn Wolfhard would be great at this because I could just see him like having that enthusiasm maybe early in the picture, the first, you know, 10 to 15 minutes when he still got his girlfriend, he still got his uh, All-American burger job. And Cameron Crowe said, you know, the Carl Juniors that, that, uh, that he based that on, all the high school kids wanted to work there. So he lost like his it job, his girl, he was, you know, really in the dumps. So I, I could see Finn Wolfhard portraying that transition and, and especially just, you know, the way he walks, having his head down, uh, embodying the behavior as well.
0: Okay, hey, I mean I can't object to another Stranger Things pull. Let let, let let the record show that this is two Stranger Things that he has cast. Me, none so far. I'm saving him.
2: I think anyway. I think he's playing his hand because he's expecting on the river the Stranger Things characters mm. to fall. And so if he takes them away from you now, he thinks he can ah. put up points. And for that, my friend, he is correct. Finn Wolfhard wins the Brad Hamilton casting. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I love it. That's <laughs> a little gamesmanship there. Keeping that in mind, Stacy Hamilton. Warren, who do you have? Uh
1: Stacy Hamilton. This is a character uh very vulnerable and likable. Uh Jennifer Jason Lee was just so great in the part. Uh, not easy to to recast. I mean, this is essentially the female lead. I ended up going with Elle Fanning. I oh, love her. Really one of the biggest names in her category, huge star. This is, like I said, the lead, uh, the, the female lead in the movie. Well, actually, the closest thing to the lead there is, and like what, a half a dozen uh, uh, main characters in in the ensemble. Uh, we follow her the most, and I think she'd be great.
0: That's a great choice. I watched her recently in The Great with Nicholas Holt, the the Hulu show, and she is awesome in it, and I, I, that's, I love that choice, really do. I went with, in a similar vein, you know, you want um, someone that's got that precocious nature that Stacey Hamilton portrays and Jennifer Jason Lee did so well. Someone that can play younger despite, you know, looking a little bit older. So there's, there's a niche casting choices there to, to fit into that, to that category. Uh, I went with Angori Rice. Um, yeah, I've cast her before. She is plays one of um, Peter's classmates in the new Spider-Man films. Uh, dated, I think Ned in the most recent one, Far From Home, uh, had a part in The Nice Guys with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. She played Ryan Gosling's daughter. She's a great up and coming young actress, uh, can play the side of the innocence kind of early on, not really uh, sure of herself, but then grows in that maturity and can have the arc that Stacy has in the film. So, uh, those are both good. Really good. Bob, so high.
2: I hate to be you. But, you know, the problem with this one is is the playful naivety of somebody at this age. Guys, I see it. what Elle Fanning is capable of and who she is. I feel like this is almost under, beneath her. You know, it's like McConaughey doing Lincoln commercials after getting the Oscar. All right. Uh, with that being said, and Gory Rice will win. Phil, make it, take it rules. That's going to leave uh, you up for Jeff Spicoli. Who do you got, buddy?
0: For my Jeff Spicoli, I mean, it's, you had Sean Penn, a very talented actor. I mean, he would go on to, of course, win Oscars. You need another Oscar caliber actor in there. And I'm pulling out the big guns. I, you know, got to for this role. I went with Lucas Hedges. I, he was at the top of my short list.
1: Mm, really? Okay. I mean, he's a great actor. It's, it's tough to cast from this uh this age group because you pretty much have to go under 25 when you're casting high school characters. He, he's um, at
0: the he's at the border there. Yeah, he's he he's is, 24, so he's fine. He's fine. but you kind of get the impression that Spicoli is a little bit older.
1: Your fast times has got some higher learning in it. Yeah, he's been held back a little <laughs> right. bit. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. like a sixth senior year attempt. Uh, I wonder how long <laughs> exactly, they let you yeah. keep doing that before they just shuffled you out of the system
2: uh, give you <laughs> Just make and you Dean. He was yeah.
0: probably at the end of it. That's how Mr. Hand was actually able to pass him out of history. Yeah,
2: probably. I didn't know that, um, we were, we were rewriting this, uh, film for an Oscar. That's great. You, you bring in, you bring in Lucas Hedges. You, you're, you're winning, you're taking home the prize, baby. <laughs> I love it. Well, yeah. I love it. Warren, who do you have here, man?
1: I went with Ty Sheridan. Um, you know, you need a talented, fearless actor, uh, who through commitment of character is hilarious, just because of the absurdity of how Spicoli is written, the absurdity of the character. Uh, you just got to play it truthful and play play that character the way he's written. Uh, of course, I think Sean Penn added a lot there, but but he did that by adding how the character was on the page, and so it's not a comedian you cast here. You cast a, a, an actor who's willing to go there, and I think Ty is up to the task.
0: Yeah, that, that that's a good point. Is that you? You know, it, it, I tie as Brad Hamilton, so I love that. It would be interesting to see him in that stoner role with the long hair. I, I, you know, I, it's it makes me chuckle thinking about either him or Lucas Hedges doing that. But I mean, because you know they've never done anything like that before either one of them. Um, so I, I do like the the Ty Sheridan. So that's just yeah, they they both got the chops for it. So yeah, it's that's, that's a tough call, but I do um, it's, it's a good choice too.
2: Well, um, with all things considering on this one, uh, Phil, you're already up 4-2, to and you're just going to make it a slam dunk here with Lucas Hedges. Um, Love the casting, and congratulations, my friend. You have officially won Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I am a golden god! Recasting court is adjourned.
0: Fan theory time, and I'm not a huge fan, no pun intended, of this one, there really is not a lot of rich fan theories out there for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, believe it or not. Uh, I think the more compelling one that I made out there is the argument of, is Doug real? So I would ask you that, Warren, in all seriousness, do you think Linda's boyfriend that she had discussed in the entire film, do you think that he is real? Is she telling the truth?
1: The the relationship is a lie. I don't think necessarily the person is a lie. I I don't think she fabricated uh, dug out of thin air, but I think the relationship isn't what she l- leads us to believe or leads Stacy to, to believe it is. Uh, and I, I think why she's upset at the end, I even thought about this and says they broke up, is because there's the big dance and he can't come. So she has mm-hmm. to create a reason why he isn't there. So I think even maybe there's some dishonesty in that moment. Uh, or the tears even real? That speaks to the brilliance of Phoebe's character when they're talking about uh, Doug, like how long does he have sex? And there's other moments where we—it's very obvious that she's she's lying.
0: Yeah, like she. See, I would go far as to say that she's never actually had sex. She's not the experienced.
1: Oh uh, yeah, she's barely had sex, if at all. I would—I think she's a virgin.
0: Yeah, um, and it's—I know it's difficult to presume that based upon the film, but we know that. She definitely is not engaged to Doug. I think she's overplaying it, overcorrecting it so much. It's just like, it's like the the you know, the kid that comes back from summer camp and it, or, or summer vacation is just like, oh yeah, I've got a girlfriend. She you know she lives out of state. You know, or what's her name? Oh, you wouldn't know her. You know, it's just like, it's kind of like the the version of that. It's just because she is such a charismatic, popular girl, you would never see it coming from her. She tries to play the more experienced friend to. To Stacy, who ends up becoming the more experienced one, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I would say that so I'd agree with you and say that that Doug is not real at all. Uh, good acting to fabricate those uh, tears. But see,
1: I don't think I, I don't think Doug is fake. I think the relationship is fake. So I I, I think it's a, I think there's a gray area. I don't think it's black and white. I think there's a gray area.
0: She doesn't have a letter from him. She's the one writing the letter. So I would say that you know, there's nothing to indicate that he is. Has been or is real.
1: I mean, I would, if I had to pick, I would lean more to agreeing with you than, than the other way. And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of Fast Times at Richmond High, one of the most realistic teen movies in the 80s. I mean, uh, the maturity, sexuality, the, the you know, these characters dealing with their formative years, at school. Uh, even money, they show a lot of these high school characters like holding down jobs. I mean, they're 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 dealing with economics of uh, work pretty early on.
0: Even Braddy's making payments on his car. You know, he's the one that's actually and you know his parents aren't hurting for money. It looks like they got an in, in-ground pool in their backyard. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's having to pay for really not not a great car. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you, you know, you're right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of mature themes for a teen film which, you know, Fast Times wasn't the first to do it, but they were the first to do it with such an impact on pop culture.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it uh, one-upped American Graffiti. uh, Absolutely, uh, yeah. uh, It's relatable for anyone who's been a teenager. I mean, it's timeless, it still resonates. Uh, You know, uh, these girls finding sex before romance, I mean, it's so grounded and realistic. Uh, there's just so many different situations these characters dealing with that just being one example, just the anguish and adolescent turmoil, uh, you know uh, that that uh, that we see these characters navigate throughout the film. I mean, Crow even said this is not a teen exploitation movie. it's the way they live.
0: yeah, and that, that's the thing it's because it's grounded in that life of of a high schooler or lives of high schoolers, I should say that mundane life, is entertaining to us as far as you know seeing what they go through and seeing the the drama of those experiences but again the implications of you know, how it's going to affect their lives long term is downplayed because they're in high school they've got their whole lives ahead of them so even the most i would say of course obviously the most serious issue that that comes up in the film is the abortion that stacy gets sure i
1: was just gonna yeah
0: but even that is like you know they showed a team tackling that, but they kept the parents out of it. They're not
1: sentimental. It's it's just very matter of fact and, and about it. It, it. There's no you know sitcom life. Uh, you know, there's no hugging at the end of the episode type lesson in that part of the movie. I,
0: I, I, and I'm a little bit disappointed by that. Not to get too serious uh, of the film because you know, we want to appreciate it for what it is. I don't feel like they villainized Mike Damone at the end enough. They kind of let him off the hook. You know, he makes up with Mark. And it's like, that's it. But really, this dude's a piece of shit for not sh- – I know he couldn't get the money, and he tried, but, like, he still well, he's showed up. Well, he's
1: too prideful. If he would have gotten the money, he would have showed up. He sh- didn't show up because he didn't want to have the heart to tell her he didn't have the money. That's why he didn't do it. Yeah, but,
0: I mean, he just – you know, he goes back. You know, there's the whole uh, – you know, oh, I mean, he he's a, little, a
1: piece of shit I'm just saying but that's where that comes he, he, but he's not a total bad person there is some good in there but uh, that I think ultimately uh, gets lost
0: uh, yeah I mean early on in the film he does try to help out Mark and, and yes there is some good in there he does seem like he is genuinely on Mark's side and that you know he's a high schooler he's got other priorities and you know Stacy was very interested so it went down that path but by the end of the film he's a piece of shit and I feel like they just kind of they're downplaying the seriousness of those decisions and just you know life goes on
1: because he didn't have consequence yeah uh, this film, uh, you know, it captured the zeitgeist, man. I mean, it even shows the kids, you know, stiffened paper uh, uh, with ink on it to get a buzz, uh, which is pretty commonplace back in the seventies or eighties. Really, which, which I didn't the, get. The
0: I, I, I didn't understand it when I was watching what they were doing and why every kid was doing it. I know they're playing it up for laughs, but it just it didn't it didn't click with me. I was but uh, the, the
1: only that kid that it. doesn't do it is Stacy Hamilton. Every other kid in the scene does it.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: We keep saying this, but it was the '80s American graffiti, Uh, and and John Hughes had three of his movies greenlit right after this movie came out. So studios were wanting the next Fast Times, and this led to an interest in teen movies being made. And John Hughes probably owes uh, Cameron Crowe a a small thanks uh, because this movie kind of, you know, uh, was a trailblazer and uh, opened the door for more movies like it to be made.
0: Which is funny because you know, obviously, uh, you know, John Hughes wrote. christmas vacation which is kind of has a parody scene of the iconic pool sequence you know that with the with the bikini and everything that fantasy sequence and whatnot but uh so it's kind of funny that you know, this inspiration that he would have gotten from fast times showed up in christmas vacation
1: yeah i, I did have that along with uh some of the uh, uh some of the spoofs i mean there's a, there's a lot of them uh because like we say the pool scene's been spoofed a lot um Probably that one the most, but American Dad and Family Guy, have spoofed it a lot. So Seth MacFarlane is obviously a big fan of the film. Yeah, uh, sure. Jay and Silent uh, Bob Strike Back, uh, Kids in America, Not Another Teen Movie, uh, Jump Street, the TV show, as you mentioned, uh, Christmas Vacation, Can't Hardly Wait, Never Been Kissed, Scooby-Doo, SNL, GTA, Jeopardy, uh, and, <laughs> and most recently, The Bachelorette. Uh, So it's still relevant, uh, you know, in pop culture, even today.
0: One that I feel like sneaks under the radar a little bit early on, Mike is talking to Mark uh, in the mall and he's talking about the assistant to the manager, the assistant to the assistant manager. And I feel like you hear that now and it's, you associate with the office where Dwight Schrute talks about being the assistant to the manager, not assistant manager, assistant to kind of like inflating your title but I heard that recently watching the film, and I was like, "Oh, I feel like that's, uh, that's a connection there, and and that they pulled from Fast Times." Yeah.
1: We've talked about the impact on movies, but talk about the impact on a national brand. Van's brand was a no-name brand; it was just coming out, and because of its placement in this movie, shortly thereafter, a huge success, and uh, which is still a very successful uh, shoe and clothing brand to this day.
0: You're talking about Spicoli shoes with the checkerboard slip-ons. Yeah. Yeah, the vans. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, they, Vans makes a lot of different types of shoes, but those were those put them on the map as far as uh, in, in mainstream because of, of of Spigoli and what he wearing them in the film.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of movies have, have done that before, where their product placement has led to the success of that company. What, um, what's
0: what I find funny is the movies that are like, no, we don't want you to use our brand because we don't want to be associated with a surfer stoner in California. They they would have said no, but Vans is like, well, hell yeah, we'll get some sales out of this and yeah, work.
1: Give a shit. What's most surprising when talking about the franchise of this movie is that there hasn't been any sequels, reboots, or spinoffs theatrically, at least with movies of any kind. Keyword
0: here being theatrically. Theatrically.
1: The only thing they did is there was a uh, a, a TV series in 1986, four years after this movie. It was titled Fast Times. It aired on CBS. It only lasted seven episodes. It was one of the most expensive TV shows at the time. Uh, it starred Ray Walston and Vincent Chiavelli. They are the only two actors to reprise their roles, uh, Mr. Han and Mr. Vargas, from the from this movie. Uh, it also starred, though, Patrick Dempsey. He played uh, Mike Dimone. And uh, Claudia Wells played Linda Barrett. That's uh, Jennifer from the first Back to the Future.
0: Not an actor that re- re- reprised their role, but uh, uh, Amy Heckerling did direct a few of the episodes and helped write it as well. And even Cameron Crowe was like a creative consultant. Mm. Um, so it did have the blessing uh, of the creative and, uh, and some of the. Still some pretty good casting. Is Don Phillips doing the casting? Shit, man. They got Patrick
1: Dempsey. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, also went on to be a star.
0: The downfall of it was attributed to, you know, you ha- you're you taking R, an R rated film and you're trying to soften it for a television audience. So it just didn't really fit tonally, you know. So. And you ended up kind of yeah, making the characters work. bland.
1: Yeah. The movie was about sex, music, drugs, and high school and all this stuff. I mean, how are you going to do that on a network TV show, especially back in the 80s? Come on, forget about yeah, it. Yeah. I
0: mean, unless you do it on, you know, a more of a premium subscription service like Well, they HBO didn't have shows like
1: that back then. That's Come true. On.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, a, that's a fair point.
1: All time list, uh, AFI 2000 list 100 years, 100 laughs, the top 100 comedies of all time. It ranks 87th. I, I I got I should look at that list because I'm not quite sure how I feel about that placement on the on there. Um, number 15 <laughs> on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies. Now that's a pretty high ranking. 15. Wow. 15.
0: Yeah, that's high praise. Yeah,
1: that's high praise. And number two on Entertainment Weekly's list, 50 Best High School Movies. Uh, so as far as high school movies go, this is like the Godfather, Goodfellas of the genre. I mean, it's the highest art form of the genre: teen uh, comedy dramas or high school films.
0: It's like a two thousand one, a space odyssey of teen films, <laughs> like <laughs> that Because you look at it now, and, I, and that, that, I know you laugh, but that is kind of a fair comparison because it's a different era. A lot of the things in the film don't age well, you know, especially in the in the. And the culture that we live in now, I mean, it, it is a time capsule of what it was uh, for that period, much like in the sense that, you know, some of the special effects, some, when you watch 2001, it's a dated film. Um, so, it, But it did have a, a breakthrough for the genre, uh, for, for that the teen film genre. So uh, I, I, I'm not going to put it the esteem of 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, but it, it, it did uh, push forward uh, teen films a lot.
1: Uh, so much so that in 2005 it was inducted into the National Film Registry by the U.S. Library of Congress. So uh, it may not be on the same level of 2001, but it's sitting in the same library with it historically. That's a good
0: anyways. point. Yeah, I mean, it it absolutely um, has its place in the zeitgeist.
1: And Luke Thompson of the L.A. Times summed it up best when he said, quote, perfectly capturing the zeitgeist of American high school life in the 80s, complete with a Rubik's Cube reference, the funny and occasional harsh fast times with all due apologies to John Hughes and Mickey Rooney may be the greatest teen movie ever made, unquote.
0: That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and if you like what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website replayvaluepod.com and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye.
2: This has been a Waldo Pickles production.